Go ahead and grab a seat, my friends. All right, well, some of you know I just got back from Russia, St. Petersburg. Thank you, worship team. Um, interest, I learned a lot about St. Petersburg. In a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to... Uh, actually, I was going to do it in like three weeks, so I didn't have to break up my series on Judges, but I think I'm going to next week talk more about my trip, about why we do missions as a whole. So it'll be a pause in our series on Judges. Then we'll go back to Judges, because I know you're all wanting to know how the book ends. Um, but uh, I want to talk more about that, but I want to I process some thoughts, make sure I'm giving you not just a, hey, here's what happened, and just throw this shotgun approach out to you, which is how I tend to do most things. People say, why do you write your stuff so far in advance? Two reasons. One, I don't believe the Holy Spirit is limited by this time. He does not have to give me a message today for tomorrow. He can give me a message today for eight months from now, a year from now, three years from now. Second, because it takes me forever to process thoughts. I am a verbal processor, but if I don't spend time, then I just, I think out loud and I'm just throwing everything out, and this way, I can process, I can make it a concise, linear approach to things. If you know me at all, I don't think well linear. I think, oh, I have this thought, I have this thought, I have this thought, I have this thought, and they all are all over the place. Thus my need for a constant calendar. And you know those little post-it note things you can get as an app? Mine are filled with random thoughts. Sometimes I don't even remember what this means. Cat bingo. What is that? Do I want cats to play bingo? Did I see a cat card of bingo? What does cat bingo mean? True story. I actually had that on a post-it note. That's why I keep them, because otherwise I don't know what I'm thinking of myself. If you've got your Bible, we're going to look at uh, the book of Judges today. And um, this is our third week in this series, last or fourth week actually, because I started with a, kind of just a history and background, and then I spoke, and then last week James spoke, and today it's back to me, and I want to talk about Samson. Most of you know this story. Some of you are going to go, why did you choose that one? There's all these unknown judges. Why would you pick somebody who's, you know, we've even seen a major motion picture of it back in the, what was that, in the 60s or 70s. Everybody knows this story because there's so much more to the story that you probably have forgotten. And if it hasn't been, if it's been a while since you read it, you go, oh yeah, that was some pretty bad, dark stuff. When people say the Bible's boring, I often say, read about the life of David, read about the book of Judges, you'll see some stuff that, believe me, it's PG-13 at best. <laughs> but the beginning of our story is, starts in chapter 13, verse 1, and it says, again, the children of evil did the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. All right, stop right there. I said this whole book is about the cycle that the people of Israel go through, and it's no different than our cycle. Life is going well. Then we kind of forget, we get busy, we ignore and we forget about God and we go on and then we realize, wow, my life is in trouble and we call out to God and we're seeking help and God's always there and he always brings us back around. It doesn't mean there's not consequences. The people of Israel faced consequences over and over, but he's always redeeming. And the interesting thing about this to me is we look and we go, wow, how do they keep doing it? Just over a 40-year cycle, they've completely forgotten about God. And I realize sometimes in a single week, I go from, I'm so excited, I'm so depressed, my life is terrible, I'm a mess. 
I sin, I'm calling out to God, I'm crying, and then I show up here again. And that's in like two days. <laughs> and they have 40 years to walk away from God. Think about your life 40 years ago. Some of you didn't even exist 40 years ago. I was a child of in the 70s 40 years ago. Life was different. The world was different. My existence was different. And my viewpoint of God was different. So the difference is we're seeing all of this compacted into a few chapters. And we forget, oh yeah, we still as a people struggle in our relationship with God. We struggle with bad habits. We struggle with the same sins. We struggle with the same over and over and over. And I could start calling out stuff and you go, yep, that's me. Or, yep, that's my spouse. (laughs) But we walk away from God. Or maybe we don't really walk away from God. Maybe we just get busy. I'm not doing bad stuff, Jeff. I'm not sinning. But boy, my life is busy. I used to think I was busy in college. I used to remember that I barely had time for one nap a day. You know, college life was hard. And now I look and I go, I long for the days when my life was that easy again. I long for the days when my life was that uncomplicated. Sometimes people with toddlers will say, I don't know if I'm going to survive. And I think, you're going to survive. And then they're going to hit the teen years and you're really going to wonder how you're going to survive. You can't do it when you can physically pick them up and move them. You can't make it. (laughs) They may be strong-willed, but I'm physically stronger. You will sit here now. And yet, this too shall pass, and God sees us through this storm and through this struggle, and the cycle begins again. God again sets his people free, even though they reject him over and over. And this time, he, he puts them under the Philistines. The remainder of chapter 13 is about um, Samson's mom and Manoah, and they get a visit from an angel, and they don't even know that it's an angel. They just think it's a stranger. Talk about your stranger danger. And uh, the stranger tells him, you're going to bear a son. All right, getting a little personal. Person we don't even know. And he gives them some specific rules for their son. From the very beginning, he's set apart. When I was growing up, we had certain family rules. They weren't cultural rules. They weren't rules necessarily other families followed. But we had certain rules. On Wednesday night, after church, we ate dinner together as a family, and there might be the four of us, or there might be 30, because my parents are always inviting people over, but we did it together. And unless somebody was sick or out of town, Wednesday nights, that's what we did. Nobody ever wrote it on the wall. Nobody ever said anything more than, this is our family rule. Other family rules, I have one friend who, when we'd go to their house, You always had to take your shoes off at the door, which I thought was very culturally Asian, but they were Caucasian in the middle of Wisconsin. And yet, when we go to his house, we'd take our shoes off at the door. Wasn't something we did in my family. I'd just wear my shoes anywhere in the house. My dad is a little more formal. My dad still, if somebody drives up the driveway, the man will still put on a suit jacket. He's had a stroke and can barely move, but he'll hustle off down the hall with his cane, get his suit coat on, and make sure he's presentable. He still shows up, you know, at church. I've talked about this before. He just finally quit wearing a tie on Sunday night services in the last couple years. The man does certain things a certain way, and those are family rules. Those are, he he doesn't say this is how we do things, but this is how we do things. Anybody in your house have family rules that maybe didn't apply to other people? 
Like it was your family. Okay, so good. So we're not alone. So these are some family rules that are set aside. Because I've had people go, oh, we're supposed to follow these. And I, my first thought is always, A, we're not in 2,800 roughly B.C. Might, might even be older than that. I'm sorry. I should have looked up the exact date. Two, we're not Nazarites. Three, <laughs> these were given to a specific person about a specific child. So you have to understand... Some things aren't, you know, for Not that they're bad. And if you want to follow the Nazarite rules of never cutting your hair, that's up to you. It just seems like it'd get really long after a while. If you thought hippies were bad, imagine a 43-year-old that's never had a haircut. <laughs> then a sacrifice is made to God. Sacrifice is critical in Scripture as a sign of obedience. As Americans, we hate sacrifice. In fact, if I just talked about sacrifice all the time, if it became like a theme of our church, believe me, we'd see a sharp decline because people don't want to give things up. They have rights. And people fought to defend my rights, and I have this right as an American. And yet, even in America at one time, it was considered patriotic to sacrifice. My grandfather tells a story. He lived through, uh, well, he was born in 1900, so he lived through a lot of different eras, lived through the Depression, and he was a farmer during that era. And there were things he had to do without. And then World War II came, and he used to get this little book of stamps. And you got a pound of sugar and a pound of coffee. You had to buy them. They weren't free, but that's how much you were allowed. A pound of sugar, a pound of coffee, um, so much gasoline, so much this, so much that. And you were allowed so many tires. And he was allowed one extra tire because he was a farmer. So he, I believe he got two a year instead of just the standard one tire per year. And he was telling me that one time they had to go in and they lost a tire on their truck and so they went in and got a tire and then they lost a tire within the same month on their tractor and had to get another tire. And about three months later, while in the fields, they damaged the tire. And it was damaged beyond repair. Oftentimes they'd go, they'd melt rubber off of another tire. They'd actually take a blowtorch, an old tire, melt rubber onto a tire and then repair it and use it. But they weren't able to repair this tire. And he thought, well, the only thing I got for the next three months to get me through harvest that I have plenty of, that there's no regulations, is wood. And the man made a wooden tractor tire. The most incredible thing is it was sitting in his garage. That's how I know this story. It was sitting on the wall. And if you know my family, there is literally a good chance it is still on the wall in that same garage. No joke, because Grandpa died in 87. We closed up the garage somewhere around... 88, 80, about 1990 when our house burned down, and those buildings still just sit there. They're still there. I've had people that have gone to Wisconsin with me can attest that you drive, drive up the driveway, there's the old building still sitting there, because why would you get rid of them? They're full of stuff. But there's a wooden tire mounted to the wall that he used for about three or four months to get him through a harvest, and he never complained. He never said, the lousy government, what were they making me do? Don't they? He just said, oh yeah, that was my wooden tire that I had to make, and here's why, because we sacrifice things. But today as a culture, we don't believe in sacrifice, and when you ask me to sacrifice, well, that's not fair, and that's un-American, and I have a right to do this? And yet at one time we understood as a culture what it meant to sacrifice. I asked him if his wooden tire was effective, and he said, well, not very. Everybody would be using them if they were. Okay, good point. <laughs> good point. But you know what? 
we see a sacrifice. They offer to make a meal, and he says, I don't want a meal. I want you to sacrifice something to God. I've told you before, I push myself to give more, not just because this is my church and not just because I love this church, but because of what David said. I won't offer a sacrifice to my God that costs me nothing. Some people might be thinking, you just want more money. Well, first, the offering's already been taken. Actually, we don't take, we always receive, right, James? (laughs) Taught James that early on. We never take people's money. We just receive it on behalf of God. But secondly, if you don't trust me or don't trust our board or whatever, that's fine. Give to somewhere else, but give with a giving heart and make it a sacrifice. Because God looks and he says, you know what? I want your obedience. That's even better. But I want your sacrifice. So they sacrifice. They sacrifice as a way to honor. It literally says, verse 17, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And then the angel says, Make this sacrifice. And that's how you honor God. First thing we get out of this is that we're called to sacrifice because that's a way we honor God. We want to be a people who impact our world. We want to be a people who impact lives. Let's be a people who honor God with what we do. Not look for the easiest way out. Not look for what makes me happiest, but what honors God. Then, the next portion, as we continue to read in verse 14, Samson chooses a wife. His parents are very much against him marrying outside his culture, not because they hated the other culture, but because they knew it could potentially be problems. But Samson goes and finds a wife of the Philistines, and we're told that's really all part of God's plan all along. Sometimes when we don't see it and we don't like it, God's plan is still bigger and working in an action. And... He marries a woman of the Philistines, and some of you may know Philistines. Haven't they been spoken of other places? Yes, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is at war with the Philistines over and over and over. We see it from all through Judges, and then all the kings, and all through the monarchy. We see them just constantly, at very least, disagreeing with the Philistines, and at worst, they're warring with the Philistines. So he's going down to see his... uh, fiance, I guess it would be, and a young lion comes out, and um, it tells us this in 14.6, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn apart a young goat. You know, as one does. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he gets attacked by a lion, and he tears it apart, as he would a young goat, and um, He leaves it on the side of the road. A week later, he comes by, and there's a beehive inside this lion. So he creates a riddle for the people as he's having his marriage feasts, as was the culture and tradition. And his fiancé cons him into telling her the answer, and then she shares it with other people. We see his weakness is women over and over and over. He's not alone. He's not the first person who fails because of another woman. Abraham certainly wasn't the last, even in Scripture. We see Saul, David, Solomon, men throughout Scripture, men throughout history. Women are not wrong. Women are not evil. Women are not lesser. 
women are equals. It's man who keeps screwing this up. And we see that over and over and over again because man does not understand how to be a leader. He then abandons her, basically because he doesn't trust her, but he never says, we're not getting married. He just gets mad and leaves, and her father gives his daughter to the best man. So if you wondered, what's the purpose of the best man? To be the second in line to marry her. Anyway, this makes Samson pretty mad. So he gets a bunch of foxes, sets their tails on fire, sends them through the fields of the Philistines, ruining their crop, and they get mad, so they burn Samson's wife and her father alive. It keeps escalating here, people. Like I said, not exactly PG material. They begin to go back and forth. Samson goes and attacks the Philistines, then they avenge that. And then he avenges that, and then they avenge that. Be careful in life when you're looking to avenge your offenses. And obviously, I don't think anybody here is going to go out and burn somebody's field down or burn somebody's house down today. But how oftentimes do we want justice for the way we've been slighted and our justice is really just getting back at somebody else. Instead of releasing and saying, God forgive them. So, he battles and kills, it tells us in chapter 15, an untold number. Then it gets so bad that his own people, the tribe of Judah, they go down and they try to talk him to him. And he agrees, I'll surrender to you as long as you agree not to kill me. They agree, they tie him up. This is significant, not just because of what's happened in the past, but this now means that God's own people are siding with their enemies against the one that's going to be their future leader. And if you don't think that's going to feel like betrayal to somebody like Samson, somebody like Samson who, if you asked, why are you doing this? He would say, because I'm going to let people know who my God is. As wrong and as twisted in times as his thinking is, he's doing this because he's not going to allow them, even though we may be under you, I'm not allowing you to bring down my God. The God of my fathers, the one true God of the universe, not the gods who others you know, celebrate and worship. It's a God who isn't seen. There is no image made of him. There is no idols to him because he's above those gods. Throughout the scripture, we see even the Philistines recognize the power of the God of Israel. And he's like, I won't do that. So his own people capture him. He surrenders. And we also see that in this, he's taken and he picks up a jawbone of a donkey. He gets in a fight. And he kills, it says he killed a thousand of them. Now, another reason this is significant in our story is, remember at the very beginning, I told you there was a code. He didn't drink alcohol. He didn't cut his hair. He didn't do this and this and this. One of the things he can't do as a Nazarite, he's violated twice in these three chapters. And that is, you don't touch a dead animal. 
You can touch food once it's prepared. Somebody else has to prepare it for you. As a Nazarite, it wasn't a whole tribe. Remember, this is just one small little group that were set apart by God. You don't touch a dead animal. He will compromise what he believes. He will compromise what he knows he's been called to. And those small compromises are so simple in our life. And you're like, well, Jeff, what's the big deal? It's just a, you know, earlier it's just a dead lion and it was filled with honey. Who wouldn't want some of that deliciousness? Here it's just one small jawbone from a dead donkey. Who cares? It's a donkey. Just a dumb old donkey. But he's been called not to do it. He was set apart for something else. You know what? In our lives, we're set apart for things, and we compromise the dumbest, smallest things. And God says, but I wanted to use you for something. We get offended so easily, so we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to be a part of this. We're not Because we don't want to follow the most basic of things, and then we disqualify ourselves for great things God wants to do. He doesn't follow what he's been called to do, and eventually it's going to cost him. He's eventually appointed judge over Israel because all they're looking at is the outside. They're looking at what he did. They're looking at the fact that he killed all these people. God must really be using him. And he rules over Israel for 20 years. The thing is, under him, it's different than under the other judges because it tells us they're still under the rule of the Philippines. Philippines, sorry. Philistines. They're not under the rule of a small island nation. They're still under the Philistines. Under the other judges... They bring them freedom. Under Samson, he's compromised too much. They're their own people, and they fear Samson, but not enough to stop lording over the people of Israel. So then, 20 years goes by, and he finds Delilah. Some of you know this story. She's a Philist- he again finds another Philistine woman. He's again deceived by her. He tricks her a couple times. And even after tricking her a couple times, he still tells her what he's not allowed to do. She cuts his hair, and he's taken captive. He's blinded. It literally says his eyes are plucked out. Doesn't sound pleasant. He's treated as a slave, and he's forced to grind their grain. And then after a time, we don't know how long, it says his hair began to grow back and they didn't seem to care. And he's taken to be mocked in front of them. They call and they say, bring him down here because we're going to look at well, the great things we've done. And they bring him down and he looks and he prays and he says, give me strength one more time. And he pushes down the pillars, one on his left and one on his right. And the people that are there all killed. It says more people were killed there than he killed in his lifetime. And then his brothers come up and they take his body and they bury him with his father. The story's full of missed opportunities. He was called and given the authority to lead the people. But it was never the leader he could have been if he'd have followed the rules God had for him all along. Too often times we want to be leaders 
but we don't want to follow a bunch of rules. We don't want to be le- we want to be leaders, but we don't want to fall under legalism. I have the right to do this. My wife doesn't care. The state of Washington doesn't care. This doesn't care. That. I don't care. If we're called to be leaders, we sacrifice things to be leaders. We see that over and over and over throughout Scripture, that if you want to be a leader, if you want to be in a leader in your home, you may not get to do things other people do. If you want to be a leader in your community, there's things you may have to give up. If you want to be a leader in the church, you don't get to do the same things other people do. And it's not about legalism, and it's not about a lack of freedom. It's about saying, you know what, I, I don't like this, but I'm going to sacrifice something. There are weeks I don't want to be in church. Usually, to be honest, those aren't my weeks where things are going great. Things are going so great, I wish I didn't have to be there this week. You know what? It's usually when things are going really bad in my life. I don't want to be here. Because I feel like, God, I'm going to just have to pretend. I'm just going to have to be whatever. And God never asked me to pretend. He just asked me to be a leader. He just asked me to show up and be a part of what's happening with the community of God. I don't want to be there because sometimes people aren't nice to me. I get emails, believe me. People don't always like me. I know it's hard to believe. I'm a likable guy. But I don't do things the way they want me to. They don't like the way I do this or that. They don't like, I don't stress this enough or I stress that too much. I've been told, Jeff, you talk about grace too much. And I'm like, oh man, you don't understand grace. If you think anybody ever talks about grace too much, you don't really understand the way God has grace. Missed opportunity to be the leader that he could have been. He allowed, a second missed opportunity is he allows his own interests to distract him from what God has called him to do. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think in your life. Anybody ever allow their own interest to get in the way of something God wanted to do in your life? Our own busyness, our own busyness, our family. I'm, I'm not saying they're bad things, but we allow things to get in the way of what God wants us to do. I've talked many times about the disease of becoming an empty nester. I'll know it myself next year, but I've talked about it because I read about it, and it's the second highest time people walk away from the church. My kids are grown. My kids are out. I made it through. They didn't kill anybody. I'm good. Now I'm going to spend my weekends at the lake, which is where I wanted to be the last 20 years anyway, but it was too expensive to take the kids, and I thought they needed to be in church, and I don't see somebody them for years. And then the second highest time people come back, first highest time is right when people leave high school and go to college. Second highest time is right when they get their kids out. First highest time people come back is when they got little kids because they get through a couple of years and they go, oh shoot, I don't know what I'm doing with this thing. And now another one's on the way. What do I do? So they come back to the church and go, here, take care of this for me for 18 years. Now my 18 years is done. Now I'm out the doors. And then they come back when they retire because they realize the final exam is coming up and they want to be ready before they stand before God. So they got to cram for the exam just to be good. I'll show up every week again. There we go. But he allows their own interest to distract them from what God has set them apart to do. Let's not be a people like that. Let's not be a people who say, what's the minimum I have to do? But let's be a people who say, how can God use me the most? He was given multiple chances over and over, but his life follows the same spiral as the nation of Israel. He sins, he repents, life gets better. Once life is easy, I don't need God anymore. Finds himself trapped, enslaved, calls out for another opportunity. Just give me one more chance, God. 
It's the same thing the people of Israel do over and over and over. He does the same thing. I've been asked many times, is that a literal story or an allegorical story? Because I don't see how someone could bring down a building or I don't see how somebody could kill a thousand people. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter. It's in our text because we're supposed to learn something from it. Was it embellished? Possibly. Or maybe it was real. We don't know. What I do know is that the story is true for Samson and it's true for us today. God desires for us to follow him and lead others towards him no matter what's going on. No matter what's happening around us, we're called to follow him faithfully. Is it always easy? No, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's really hard and sometimes it's really painful and sometimes I feel like I'm all alone doing it. And I'm talking about me, not you. I'm talking about Jeff. That's how it sometimes feels. And you're probably feeling the same thing sometimes. And yet, I can say over and over, unequivocally, it is worth it to follow God. Not because of what I'm getting out of it at the end, but because of who he is in this life and the way I get to walk through life and I know I'm not alone. Doesn't mean I never feel lonely, but I know I'm not alone. Doesn't mean I never struggle with depression. I know I'm not alone. Doesn't mean sin isn't right there. But the beauty of it is, I'm not alone. And I have that option in this lifetime. So here's three things for you to remember. Number one, if he can use Samson, he can use you. Most of you have not murdered anybody. I don't know all your life stories. I've told you the story of our custodian in San Diego. He'd murdered multiple people, and yet I'd never seen a more godly man in my life. Most of you have not set fire to other people's property as a move of revenge. And I say most of you because, again, I don't know. Looking at some of you. I've seen the campfire some of you have while we were camping, and I'm like, ooh, this guy really likes fire. (laughs) Most of you don't set out with revenge in your heart to destroy your enemies. But if he can use Samson, he can use you. The second key to remember is God never walks away. It's always the people that walk away from God. God never says, I've had enough of you. He says, okay, if that's what you want, I'll leave you alone. Philistines, go ahead. Whoever, come ahead. But he never says, that's it, I've had enough of you. And he casts them out. They always choose to walk away from him. In your life, God is not abandoning you. He's not taking away your free will and you have the right to walk away from him. God never takes away our free will. You have the right to choose him and you have the right to walk away. And those are your options. Those are your options. Choose or reject. But he never takes away your freedom to do that. And the third thing, God always has a plan of redemption for his people. Over and over and over God redeems his people. Is life always perfect? No. Life is ugly and messy. And people struggle with loneliness and isolation and addiction. And God never rejects them. People struggle with sins of the past and sins that they're still going through. And God never rejects them. God's plan is always, always, always to redeem his people. You have not sinned too bad. You are not too evil. You are not too far from God. He's looking at you and he's calling out to you. And he doesn't care that you've made a mess of your marriage and he doesn't care that you've made a mess of this and he doesn't care how many times over and over and over you've come back for forgiveness. He looks and goes, and my plan for redemption is to call you back again 
and again and again. My plan for redemption never, never wavers. Is it always what we wanted? Nope. Because sometimes we go through pain and ugliness and we live in a broken world. But God's plan for redemption is always working. You are never too far from God. Father God, I thank you for this this story, this lesson, this example of what it means to be a follower of you. And though it's a different time, a different era, and life was different, the message and the truth is the same. May we be a people who choose to follow you, who choose to understand that if God can use him, you can use me. I need to sacrifice, and I need to set myself apart, and I need to do things differently. But at the end of it all, you can still use me and you still want to. May I be committed to you, Father God. May each of us in this room step up in that commitment to you. Not to show up for something, not to do something. We're not signing up for anything. We're just saying, God, I am committed to you. I am committed to you and I am committing my ways to your ways. And I may have been a failure and a screw up and a, a, a just, I may have blown it in the past. But from this moment forward, I'm committing those things to you. And in that, you're going to challenge me and change me and mold me. And I'm not going to like it. And I'm not going to always agree. And I'm going to fight it. But God, let me continue to choose you. Continue to pursue you with all that is in me. And Father God, for those in here today who want to do that, who have just struggled to do that, who've been stuck in the spiral of sin because they... They feel like they can't get better and they can't move on and they just keep doing the same things and they're angry at themselves and they hate themselves. For those who, there, there's people who sometimes can't even come to church for a period of time because of their own sin and they, 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 they feel like they have to get cleaned up and be better. God, release them from that. Don't let them be bound by that anymore. The church may fail people, but God, you never do. I'm going to fail people, but God, you never will. The people on their left and their right may not may just let them down. But you, God, you never will. And let us have that deep within our heart, deep within our soul. Let us become a church that does that less and less, that sees the needs of people and makes those greater than the needs of ourselves, the needs of the community stronger than the needs of the individual. Let's love one another, God. Teach us how to do that. Help us to become that community. In your name, amen. Next week, I'm going to talk uh, about my trip to Russia. um, There'll still be the scripture. It'll still be a message. But uh, I've been asked by a few people about it. I shared briefly about it yesterday at the men's breakfast. I'm going to talk about how you can kind of help partner with the church and the work that's going on there. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history on what Foursquare is doing there and then where where we're at now and, and that kind of thing. And then we'll continue our series in two weeks on Judges. We have two more messages on Judges. Uh, Two weeks it'll be on the idolatry and um, how we do the same thing in our life. We, things are going well and so we set up idols. And then um, I can't remember what the message after that is, but in three weeks we got another one on Judges, kind of finishing out the book actually in three weeks. So that's where we're headed. If you're wondering where we're headed, I would love for you to continue this journey with us. And then uh, we get to the end of March and we start looking towards Easter. Because, oh, what a glorious time. So, thanks for being here. Know that you're loved. See you all again soon.